1 Thessalonians 2, starting at verse 13. This is God's word. And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. For you, brothers, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same thing from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews, who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out and displeased God and opposed all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they may be saved. So as always to fill up the measure of their sins. But God's wrath has come upon them at last. All right, we'll leave the reading of those few verses there. Um, I'm going to try and make a bit of sense about what we've just read. Um, We have, as I mentioned a few moments ago, been going through this letter, 1 Thessalonians, over the last few weeks. And the, the title of our teaching series is called Transforming Community, which seems to be a theme that comes throughout this letter. And the church, that's what we are here today, the church is to be a transforming community, the kind of place where people come and are transformed, all of us, more and more, into the likeness of Jesus, to become more like him. And um, that's what we pray for here, and that's what we want for ourselves and for our city as well. And (coughs) we saw a couple of weeks ago that one of the fundamental values, if you like, of a transforming community is that it is birthed by, it's come into being because of, if you like, the Word of God and the Spirit of God. And so this week, the passage that we've just read helps us to see how that Word of God not only gives birth to the church, but also helps it to grow, helps it to be built up. It is what leads the church. It's that same Word and that same Spirit and how it continues. So we're going to think about this passage in, under these three headings. Uh, the three ways, if you like, that God's word influences the transforming community. So number one, it's a divine word. Number two, it influences the church because it's an effective word. And thirdly and finally, it influences the church because it's a divisive word. It causes division. That's a bit weird. Uh, And we'll think about that and what that means in a few moments time. So first of all, God's word is a divine word. Now that might sound fairly obvious. If it's come from God, of course it's divine. But look down at verse 13. Paul begins this little section by saying, we thank God constantly for this. What is this? That when you, that is when the Christians in this city called Thessalonica in modern day Greece, when they received the word of God, which you heard from us, that is Paul and his apostle friends, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God. You see that in that verse already, that those who have heard the good news of Jesus that that, that Paul has preached, they they, they received that message, they accepted it, they they welcomed it into themselves, into their community, if you like, and they recognized it as God's word. It came from God, you know, it 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 was from him to the church. You see, God has been speaking from the very beginning. If you go back to the beginning of the Bible in Genesis chapter 1, you see God speaking the universe into existence. These very famous words. God said, let there be light, and there was light. 
through the act of speaking, God created. The psalmist later on, many years later, summed it up by saying this, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, by the breath of his mouth, all of their hosts, that is all of the stars, all the skies. So when God speaks, he shows us his creative power. He brings form, he fills all things, he brings all things into existence through his word. But not only does it show us his creative power, it shows us his power to communicate. God tells us accurately about himself. He discloses himself and describes himself to us in his word. All right. There's a great scene in the Bible in Exodus chapter 19, one of the Old Testament books. <coughs> the people of Israel had come out from slavery. They'd been enslaved in Egypt uh, for 400 years. Uh, and so God was about to speak another creative word to his people. And so he brought Israel out uh, to gather around this mountain called Mount Sinai. And there they were, and he was about to create a people for himself. He was about to give them the law. He was about to show them how they should live in response to him bringing them out of slavery. And, and, and the account goes that the people were to consecrate themselves for three days. They were to prepare themselves ceremonially, get themselves right before God, if you like, <coughs> to listen to him speaking. And so they did that. And God after those three days, would descend upon the mountain and speak. And I'm just going to read to you what it was like when God spoke to the people in Exodus 19. On the morning of the third day, after they had done their cleansing, uh, there were thunder, thunders and lightning and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast so that all the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now, Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke went up like the smoke of a kiln, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him in the thunder. Just imagine what it would have been like on that day. Thunder and lightning the very mountain itself was shaking because of the noise of God's voice, <coughs> smoke and fire, deafening noise. And this was as God was giving his word. He was speaking to Moses and he was giving the law code as we will read on in Exodus 19. He spoke his people into being on that day. And the whole Bible, not just Genesis and Exodus and Thessalonians, but the whole Bible is a record of God's word. Whether it's through leaders and prophets, whether it's through poets and historians, <clears throat> in the last days, he has spoken to us through his son, Jesus Christ, it says in Hebrews 1. In Jesus, God gave his clearest and most final and obvious word to the world. Everything that Jesus said, everything that Jesus did, is a revelation, is a word from God, communicating something of himself to the world. And the apostles and the rest of the New Testament writers were simply taking that message of Jesus and applying it and interpreting it to the church. You can start to see, can't you, how the divine word of God impacts the transforming community how it forms and fills, how it creates new people, how it calls people from darkness into light, how it rescues people and redeems them. And it all comes through the cross of Jesus. 
But just note for a second before we move on, God's Word, you know, the, the Bible, it didn't just arrive in some sort of uh, tube from heaven. It wasn't communicated to people in some kind of ecstatic trance, not even a dream, although there were some dreams that were recorded. <coughs> but God, this is the amazing thing, God communicated his word in the Bible by servants, by people who received his word. That's why it says in verse 13, um, you received the word of God, which you heard from us, from Paul and the other apostles. Divine word of God was communicated through real people in specific historic contexts using the ordinary means of communication. Writing, speaking, understanding, ears, mouths, that kind of thing. Why, why is all this important to us? Why is it important for us at Foundation Church to understand that the divine word of God influences our transforming community? Well, first of all, it means that when we are preaching from the Bible, which we do every Sunday, we go to the Bible text and we talk about it, what we're doing is we are hearing from God's word to the church. Preaching is God's word to the church. And where preaching is drawn from the scriptures, where, where each passage is understood in uh, light of the whole of the Bible, when it is carefully applied in a way that makes the point and purpose of the sermon, the point and purpose of the Bible text, when we do that, we can be confident as we gather together Sunday on Sunday on Sunday that we are hearing not just my thoughts, but we are hearing God's word expressed to us through the Bible. That is why we prioritize preaching here at Foundation Church. Every Sunday, without fail, we will be here asking ourselves, what does God say in this book? Whatever God considers to be important, we will consider to be important. Whatever he says in here, we will obediently seek to put into practice. But just remember, when we're gathering every week, and even on a night like tonight, it just feels a bit small and there's a few folks away and it feels almost sort of, not quite, yeah, it just, feel, it just feels like maybe, oh, what's the point? No one's here. But it's the same God that speaks to us this evening through the Bible, who was there on Mount Sinai, thundering, smoking, speaking through those roaring trumpets, we may not hear trumpets here this evening, but it's the same God who speaks through his word. And that means that whatever we do uh, when we get together as a church, there is that weight, that impact of God's divine word speaking to us week after week. How does that make you feel when you come to church, whether it's this church or another church? Does it not humble you? That God would... <coughs> address his people, that he would use the foolishness of preaching to talk to us? Do you come ready to church? Do you come prepared? I know I can't always say the same for myself, but do you come prayed up, ready, having maybe opportunity during the week to read the Bible verse for the next week? Praying for the preacher, praying for one another as we hear God's word. 
Do you come ready? The second reason this is important, not not just because we're preaching the Bible every Sunday, but because when you and I and everyone else, as we're praying in our prayers, when we're sharing the good news of Jesus to our (coughs) friends and our family, people who don't know him yet, we are sharing not just our own collection of thoughts or even our own experiences, although they may be important, but we are sharing God's word. Again, it is that same word that creates nothing Sorry, something out of nothing. It's the same word that forms and fills his people. And if you are sharing the good news about Jesus with your friends and your family and your co-workers, it is that same word. It's not your word. And that is great. That is so great. Again, you may not expect blaring trumpets when you're sitting down in Starbucks talking about Jesus. But you can sit down with the confidence that it's not your word. And that is a good thing. Because it takes the responsibility off of me and you is God's word. And as we'll see in a few moments' time, God's word always works, whether you see the impact straight away or not. It takes away the need <coughs> to get it right or to hit a home run every time one of these conversations come up. So we see, first of all, that the divine word, is God's word is the divine word and how that influences the community week after week. Secondly, I want to show you that this is a shorter bit. (coughs) God's word is an effective word. Look down at verse 13 in our our text again. (coughs) This is the second half about it. Uh, uh, Paul says, the apostle Paul who wrote this, says, (coughs) uh, it's the word of God which you heard from us, you accepted not as the word of men, but as what it really is, uh, the word of God, listen, which is at work in you believers. It's at work in you believers. I love that. It's the same, oh, thanks, man. It's the same word that is at work in the church. There's this ongoing, this continual work of the gospel going on in the church. I love this passage from Isaiah 55. I'm going to quote to you now. Isaiah is one of the prophets of the Old Testament. This is one of the passages that I go to quite frequently when I need to remind myself that what we're doing here Sunday after Sunday actually matters, actually counts. It says this, Isaiah 55, 4, As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. I love those verses. I love those verses. It's so encouraging for a discouraged preacher, not that I'm that just now, but in the past or at other opportunities. I love that. We see another similar picture in another um, prophet called Ezekiel. He's shown a vision of a valley of dry bones and God says to Ezekiel, I want you to prophesy over these bones and say to them this message, (coughs) O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. I will cause my breath to enter you and you shall live. What a weird dream. (laughs) But then as the vision goes on, it says this, there was a sound and behold, a rattling and the bones came together, skin upon flesh, breath came into them. And these bones, they lived and they stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. In these two Old Testament prophecies, we have these images of what the Word of God 
can do. In the first, the, the word of God is like water that just nourishes the ground and brings fruit from it, brings production, brings new life. In the second from Ezekiel, the word of God and the spirit of God bring dead people back to life. An exceedingly great army. That's why I'm saying just now God's word is effective. It does something. And that's why we listen to God every Sunday, week after week. It is based on the conviction that God's word always achieves what he sets out for it to achieve. Thank God for those two passages. We've already seen in, in our study so far through this letter the, the effect of God's word in this little church in Thessalonica, how they turned, it says, to, from idols to serve the living and true God. They went from worshipping the gods, the pagan gods, to being renowned throughout the area for their works of faith and their love and their hope how their conversion became legendary in the province and beyond. And this is God's word doing its work, forming and filling these people, turning what is dead into life, watering and nourishing dry ground and bringing beautiful fruit to bear. Listen, if you are a Christian here this evening, then this is true of you. God's word <coughs> is at work in you. And you, you may not feel like it day to day, week to week, but if you're a Christian, God's word is at work in you. It will bring fruit in your lives. May, may that very truth itself, if you remember nothing else today, may that very truth itself reassure you. No matter where you are before God, if his word is in you, it will work. I love this little quote from Martin Luther, who was one of the early reformers. He's a German monk. He says this, this word, this is the word of God, must do its work and not us poor sinners, he says. In short, I will preach it, I will teach it, I will write it, but I will not constrain anyone by force because faith must come freely and without compulsion. Take myself as an example, he says. I oppose the indulgences and corrupt practices within the church, but never with force. I just taught and preached and wrote God's word, otherwise I did nothing. And while I slept or drank Wittenberg beer with my friends Philip and Amsdorf, the word so greatly weakened those corrupt forces that no prince or emperor ever inflicted such losses. I did nothing. The word did everything. God's word is not just divine. It is devastatingly effective. Just before we move on, two applications, two ways that this makes a difference for us. <coughs> Number one, it is God's word, not your word. We've kind of covered this already. That gives us comfort, that gives us rest, that gives us peace. It is his word that grows his kingdom, that grows his church, that grows us. We are just simply, I am just simply a, 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 a sower of the seed. We are people who just tell the message. We are heralds of the truth, but it is not our word. God's word does the work and that just takes the pressure off of us, doesn't it? Secondly, you are the servant of God's word. So take it up and read it. Listen to him. Don't forget, they had to receive the word. They had to accept it in verse 13. So take hold. This is true whether you're a believer or not. 
for God's word to influence our transforming community, we must take it up and listen to what he's saying to us. This is why at Foundation Church we shape all of our services around God's word, hearing it, singing it, praying God's word. This is great every Sunday, but what are you doing Monday through to Saturday to hear God's word? What are you doing? Are you, are you listening to him? Are you opening up the Bible and reading it? Even a little tiny section every day. God's word is effective, but like a seed, it has to be sown. You have to do something with it for it to do something with you. So God's word is a divine word. We've seen that. God's word is an effective word. We've seen that. <coughs> Finally, this is the interesting bit. This is probably what Paul occupies Paul for the rest of the passage. God's word is a divisive word. It causes splits. And that's not what we like talking about as, as Christians. We like to think of God's word as, as, as uniting. And, it, and indeed it does. But let me show you <coughs> what I mean. We saw uh, a couple of weeks ago that when the Thessalonians first heard the good news of Jesus, it said they received the word with much affliction with much suffering. They heard and accepted and received God's word as God's word and it got them into trouble. They were transformed by God's word and yet it led to people hating on them. You see, God's word at times produces division. We don't know exactly how it was in Thessalonica the city in those days, we're, we're almost looking back about 2,000 years when we're reading this letter. But it is clear from these words that God's word produced such a change in this new community of people that the city, some within the city anyway, didn't like it. They were threatened by it somehow. And they did all they can, could, to shut down this little transforming community within the city. <coughs> Look down at verse 14, it says, You brothers... Uh, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews. You see that? There was something about that city, something about the way it was balanced that meant that the transforming community of these gospel people were offensive and created some kind of a stir among the hallways of power within Thessalonica, more than any other city that we tend to read of in those early days. And this is true of transforming community now. It challenges the status quo of the city. People in a transforming community, and that's what we want here at Foundation Church, people in a transforming community do not adhere to all the practices and behaviours and ethics and values that are commonly accepted in the city. In fact, we can go as far as saying that there are some areas whereby the transforming community, that is the church, is radically opposed to the values of its city. Not in every area, but on some areas it is radically, diametrically opposed. We know that the Thessalonian believers were famous for how they turned from idols to follow God. That was news that spread throughout the province. But you see, this idea of turning from idols to following God, but it wasn't just some sort of private religious thing that happened in their hearts. Turning from idols meant rejecting the social and the political realms within the city. In fact, <coughs> turning from idols to serving God was, was almost 
a form of suicide. Because of the way the cities, these ancient cities were set up, if you turn away from idolatry, that is the polytheism of ancient uh, Macedonian gods and the gods of Rome, if you turned away from that, you're basically rejecting the way the city functions. You're rejecting those who hold power. You're rejecting the Caesar himself, the emperor of Rome. And yet the faith of this early, early church was famous because they turned from all of that, from all of those idols, socially, politically, to serve the living God. In the ancient Near East, you know, in ancient Greece and all that, <coughs> you could worship whatever God you wanted to, and as many gods as you wanted to. So if you want to worship Jesus as a God, that's fine. But what you absolutely could not do is worship Jesus as the only God, as the one true Lord, and the rest are not gods. If you start saying that, that is when you're likely to get kicked out, get your head chopped off, get deprived of work, your family will come to harm. That would be suicide. You can see conversion to Christianity isn't just about some private inner experience that people have. Conversion <coughs> means rejecting certain power structures within the city, certain leaders, certain organizations, certain values and behaviors that are at odds with God's word. We are essentially saying there is only one Lord and his name is Jesus. Paul knew all about that city. He visited it himself. We see in Acts chapter 17, he started to preach the good news of Jesus and a bunch of jealous Jews sort of formed a mob and chased him and his buddies out of the city. Tried to kill him and they followed him to the next city and tried to chase him out of that too. Such was the hostility towards the Christian message in Thessalonia. So Paul sought to encourage the church. He says, you're suffering from your own people, but you're just like the churches in Judea, in Palestine. They killed Jesus. They killed the prophets. They drove the apostles out. And Paul is saying to this little church here in Thessalonia, Thessalonica, you know what, there are always some people who oppose the truth. There are always going to be some people who just don't want to know. There will always be some people for whom the good news of Jesus is an unsettling truth that is too painful for them. It is too challenging to their own sense of power and authority, their own claim to wealth. And so there will always be some who will reject the good news of Jesus. They will try and chase it out and its preachers and its people from churches. They will always try and suppress the truth about God. <coughs> and the same can be said for our own day today. As we go on as a church, we see multiple areas in our own society and culture where the Christian faith and where God's word in the Bible is under fire. You just have to switch on your TV to realise Christians being ridiculed, the traditional Christian values being torn apart. Let me just give you a few examples of where this is happening. You can probably think of some yourself. Uh, abortion, for example. They're going to start voting next month down in the Republic of Ireland to permit abortion. But this is in opposition to what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that human life carries great importance because all human beings are created in the image of God. 
And so it's not our job to decide who's worthy of life and who's not. Instead, it is our job to protect the vulnerable, which includes children who have not yet been born, who don't have a voice. Other areas where God's word in our own society clashes. Gender. God created people male and female, we read in the Bible. And yet, as you can probably tell, there is huge public pressure to reject this traditional understanding of gender in favour of gender fluidity in the transgender movement. Now look, I'm taking these two examples just to show that there are areas when transforming community clashes with what our society teaches. There's so much that we can say about each of these topics and our position, our stance as a church. We'll say a few of those things in a few moments' time. But the point I'm trying to make is that there will always come a time, if you are a believer in Jesus and you consider God's word to be divine and authoritative, then there will be occasions when your views and your opinions based on God's word will radically oppose people in your family, people at work, in in the popular media, that kind of thing. So the question then, I hope you're asking, as we come now into a close on this talk, (coughs) the question then is how should we live as people within the church? How should we respond to these clash points? Should we withdraw and and go and find a nice big hole for us to live in and and keep ourselves away from the world and just not engage? Should we do that? Because that's tempting, that's just easier. And sometimes, something I want to do, just go and hide away someplace. Do we go the other way and charge like a raging bull straight to those who hold a different opinion to us? Charge them down. Seek to take them out with our great preaching and our great arguments. Take them down in the public sphere. Is that what we're to do? Well, my argument this evening is that we do neither. Neither withdraw and go and sit under a hole. Neither go in like a raging bull and seek to cause as much damage to the opposite side as we possibly can. God's word does not allow either of those responses. Instead, let me just suggest two things. First of all, we are to remember that God's word through the Bible is his divine, powerful, effective word, and therefore we have to take seriously what it takes seriously. It speaks clearly to many issues in our contemporary world. And so therefore, we have to humbly listen and we have to speak up when God speaks. What does God say on a particular issue? We must be humble students of the Bible. At this stage, may I recommend a couple of books that I found very helpful um, (coughs) in my thinking in these areas. Um, (coughs) They're not exactly required reading or anything like that, but they're just ones that, as an example, and I have found as a Christian to help me think through some of these issues that we see in our own society. Uh, the first one is this. This is quite an old book, actually. Um, it's by one of my favorite Christian authors, Francis Schaeffer. Um, it's called Whatever Happened to the Human Race? And this is a book uh, that talks about some of those end-of-life issues, abortion, euthanasia. It's from an American perspective, but it really helps to think through uh, some of the positions and our response as, as, um, as Christians as well. And there's a great bit at the back about social action. What should we do in response to some of these key questions? So that's a really good book, Whatever Happened to the Human Race. 
Uh, the second one is very small. Uh, you can see you could read that probably in a, in a, you know, in a day, <clears throat> depending on how fast you read. It's by um, a Christian pastor called Vaughan Roberts, transgender it's called, and uh, the topic is about transgender. Uh, it's pretty obvious, but it talks about, uh, from a Christian perspective, again, how can we understand more about the transgender community? How can we show love? How can we show acceptance? But also, how can we wisely and lovingly uh, share our Christian perspective <clears throat> on these really difficult issues? Um, so I recommend this one here. It's pretty cheap to buy online, um, but it won't be long. If you don't already know people who identify as transgender uh, in your family or at work, you soon will. So please get ahead of the curve and, and buy this book and have a read through. Just um, <clears throat> not going to tell you everything you need to know, but it'll just help to get the ball rolling in your, in your mind and your own thoughts. There's plenty more resources like that out there I would love to share with you um, if you have any more questions. So first of all, when it comes to all this, we think, what does God's word say? And we listen to it and we come under it. Okay. Secondly, then, we, we need to use that same care and, and, and humility when it comes to listening to people with opinions that do differ from ours, and you will meet plenty in whatever circumstances you live in. Whether it's people who, who live out their lives in a different way, whether it's people who make choices that we don't agree with, we need to listen humbly to them. We can't go in all guns blazing, like that bull in a china shop, but instead when we listen to people who have different opinions, we listen with a posture of care, with real genuine interest of genuine human desire to love whether we disagree with their politics or the way they live their lives or their opinion on new, and the things in the news or their opinion on things in art or, or sport or whatever it happens to be this is really hard to do isn't it if someone is very hostile towards christians in general but it's my contention that if we approach these scenarios with humility and wisdom. We will not only get an opportunity to share God's word, but we'll even get an opportunity to challenge and contest someone's viewpoint and maybe think through better ways to see the world. Again, the third book I want to recommend <clears throat> has been very helpful is this book here called Tactics by Gregory Kokel. And this is a very easy book to read. <clears throat> and there's nothing uh, sinister or subversive about it. Um, it just helps us to, as Christians to work through <clears throat> how do we actually have a conversation with someone who differs from us? How can we ask a set of questions um, that just helps to open up the issue in a really non-confrontational, non-hostile way? And uh, it's a really great, very practical uh, book. So I can again recommend that to you. You know, the Bible is not just all about doom and gloom and stuff you can't do and ways you're wrong. In the Bible, in God's word, we have an offer of a greater satisfaction, a greater fulfillment than anything our society can offer. When God speaks, <clears throat> he offers an answer to people who crave significance, who desire purpose in life, who desire success and security. And as the church, we are saying that all these things are available in deeper and more profound ways than you'll ever know in Jesus Christ. And so we're saying to the world, Jesus has what you want. 
And also he has the things that you need and you don't even know you need. He has them too. And this is our message. This is the message of the gospel. Look at what God has done to give Jesus to the world. He sent his only son to come and live a life we couldn't live and die a death we couldn't die on a cross for our sins. And in that process, that good news, he provides freedom. He provides life. He provides forgiveness. Just come and receive it because it's a gift and it's for everybody. That is our message to the world. Whatever the world values, we as the church will take it, we will raise it, we will deepen it, we will intensify it, we will reform it and we will secure it for you through the gospel of Jesus Christ. God's word can melt the coldest of hearts and he can settle the angriest opponents. Let's pray.